0: Hello, thank you for tuning in. My name is Nella, and welcome to my podcast, Ethereality. A quick background on me, I have been interviewing people about their near-death experiences on the other side, NDE, for the last two years now. I honestly couldn't think of a better use of my time, so NDEs will be a hot topic on this podcast, but I want to talk about other things too, so I created a space where we can talk about all things metaphysical spiritual, scientific, or likely a combination of all of those. Today's guest is a personal friend of mine, Jonathan Van Valen. We are in alignment about so many things. It can be difficult to stay on topic, but we do our best. Jonathan, thank you for being here today. Would you like to start by sharing your experience nearly dying?
1: When I was 29 years old, I underwent a surgery on uh, the back of my throat. It's a surgery known for being very, very painful in its recovery. You remove all this tissue and you have to continue to use it and breathe and swallow and things like that. So it can be a real bear to withstand the rigors of the healing process. And I was in the hospital for four days and removed from the hospital at that point. Into the care of my father again. I was 29 years old, so I'm not, I wasn't a kid, but he wanted to watch over me and look over me. So he took me out to the family house and didn't really have much to do for a while because I wasn't capable of doing anything other than just sitting around and and healing. Four days into his care, I experienced what I would describe as an inner click. It was something that I both felt as though I sort of heard internally and felt very viscerally internally. And it was in that moment that I knew with really perfect clarity that the animating life force in me was simply beginning to drain away. My body was beginning to die. And at the same time that that click occurred, there in inflooded these additional awarenesses, recognitions. The first of them was that there was an observing quality, an observer that could recognize that the body was dying. It was very, very clear instantly in that moment of that click that the one doing the observing was not actually dying at all. In fact, the fact that the body was dying has no meaningful impact on it at all as far as its own beingness. And so that was an extraordinary thing to contend with in that moment but it also conferred a kind of freedom that would have been impossible to find otherwise because in the recognition that the body was beginning to die but that i was not beginning to die the pain in that body had no bearing on this aspect of being either and so in that moment there was simply a complete release from the suffering this was a this is a recovery from a kind of surgery that is truly (laughs) mind-bendingly painful it had been essentially an experience of just absolute hell until the very moment that my body began to die it was in that moment that there was again a, a complete release from that suffering and it's a point we may return to but i don't mean to say that the pain in that body disappeared that body was still just in as much pain as it was before it's just that again it was clear very clear that the one uh that the aspect of being that was clearly beyond the body and not impacted by the body it's like it didn't have to own that pain and so even though the pain was still in the body i was still released from the suffering of it so uh, an extraordinary moment of freedom but in that click and in that moment of that that recognition flooding in there were simultaneously some other recognitions that that again it it's, I can't really speak about it except without sounding as though it sort of came in a progression, but it's more accurate to say it really all just sort of came flooding in at once. So a second recognition that flooded in was that the body was dying really relatively slowly. And it was immediately clear that, it, you know, I was not going to just heal over, you know, in the next few hours or something. It was going slowly enough that I can see that it would probably take a couple days, at least, uh, you know, it wasn't perfectly clear, but it was, you know, there was clearly time, and there was time to sort of contemplate it and co- time to think about what I wanted to do about it, if anything. But in any case, it it was very clear that it was happening, pretty slowly, and there was a little bit of time to kind of revel in this experience, at the very least. Uh, kind of right on top of that recognition, there is this a third recognition. And it's very related to the the first one in which I I'll try to describe that there's this aspect of my being or my consciousness or my awareness that is, first of all not dying, that has the capacity to observe this body that is dying. And yet, in this third sort of revelation or recognition, what is made clear is that even that individuated sense of a self, even though that self seems non-corporeal, Even that non-corporeal sense of self is beginning to dissolve, and it is beginning to dissolve into what is absolutely all-encompassingly vast. It's is—it's one of those things that becomes very difficult to speak about at all unless sounding very poetic or very esoteric.
0: Ethereal. Ethereal, perhaps.
1: (laughs) We could definitely call it that. I
0: mean, how do you you define ethereal? You know, like the explaining a whole nother realm in itself with language that was created within this one. That's one of the main things I hear from near-death experiencers all the time is just like, it's so hard to explain. (laughs) There are no words. (laughs) We just try our best. Yeah
1: it is it, it is it is so often a realm of experience that is so far different than our usual perceptual realm that our usual words frequently don't do it justice and and i can certainly relate to that especially in this this one right here so yes yes there is it is very it, it is um there is this sense that that individuated sense of self is dissolving into what is all-encompassingly one all-encompassingly vast. And it's dissolving into that in precisely the same rate that my body is dying. So as every molecule of life force seems to fall away, there is this equal and growing sense of merging into this, this vastness. And that confers a sort of level of, of freedom that is somehow even greater than merely being released from the physical body itself, as I tried to describe in that first recognition.
0: See, that is what I find really interesting, is because most people would feel uncomfortable at the thought of losing that essence that makes them them. Where the way you describe it is, it was liberating.
1: Indeed, yes, liberating is an exceptionally good word. That was a very, very beautiful choice. And I, let me let me see if I can flesh that out a little. So. One of the things I would emphasize in that experience is that it is this dissolving into, or I should say merging into this all-encompassing allness, oneness. It's, it is difficult to find the right words for it. But what I would emphasize about that is that if something is so completely um, all-encompassing, then it can't be missing anything it's that's it's how we could get to the the recognition or the revelation of it being extraordinarily whole or using a word like it's all one like everything is it's all one there's no nothing about it is separate or different or apart it's not two there is so if something is incredibly whole if it's incredibly one then it cannot be missing anything and it's in that wholeness that that slips away even the remotest possibility of there possibly being a sense of loss. So how could there be a sense of loss if nothing is missing? And I do, I, I understand very clearly how when trying to describe these kinds of things, what's often evoked in people is, is this, this little tick of fear that says, but what if, what if I, what if I, what if I'm losing something that I think I want? What if I'm losing something that I've always felt was me? if i'm losing that then how can i not just feel confused and lost and somehow sort of abandoned or adrift in some vastness that is unfathomable or you know this kind of this kind of thinking and and it's not hard to understand how someone's mind might might turn that way but i could not emphasize enough that in the direct experience of it there cannot possibly be that sense of loss, and as a result, there cannot possibly arise a sense of fear. Virtually all of us, somewhere along the line, we've we've probably heard some version of the notion that love is the opposite of fear. Fear is the opposite of love. If there could not possibly arise a tick of fear in any way, then how could it be anything other than experienced as extraordinarily loving? And steeped in that kind of love, again, how how could there possibly be a sense of loss? or a sense of, of fear to begin with they simply can't and what's also possible is that in that overarching wholeness it's it's it again contains everything so could it contain the the memory of what it was like to feel separate and individuated sure so is it does it mean that 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 the that the experiences of that individual or seeming individual are somehow wiped from consciousness and just disappear, as if they, you know, no, it's still it's still accessible.
0: You're still at this point with your father, and let's go
1: for the story. Yes, all right. Let's yes. Go. we'll go back there for a moment, shall yeah. we? Okay. Yes. So, uh, yeah, all this sort of floods in. Um, in this moment, it literally is a click. It's an inner click, and all this poof it just floods in. Um, my my reaction to it is one of mostly just a combination of absolute awe and overwhelming peace. And it's funny to say that's about it, but that's about it. But what that, what that means, sort of practically speaking, in in this, is that. I just spend the entire rest of the afternoon in a state of utter awe and utter peace, released entirely from the suffering of the, of the actual pain in that body, in that state in which there, there's no fear about it. And so one of the f- sort of funny things on a practical level was that there was no impulse to do anything about it, the, not even the impulse to try to communicate to my father that my body was dying. Like that was just seen as irrelevant. Um, why would I need to do anything to change the situation?
0: I think that is so interesting because I feel like most people have this uh, instinct of self-preservation mm-hmm. to just completely detach from the self and this incarnation, this life that we live. It has to be such an all-encompassing experience.
1: Yeah. I, well, I spent most of those twenty-nine years feeling very attached to this body in that state of awareness the the body itself was seen as a trifle that was essentially irrelevant <laughs> and not only essentially irrelevant but kind of it had an it has an illusory quality to it in the sense that 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 sense of beingness that was both merging into the the vastness and also recognizing that the body was not me has the quality of feeling so real and so solid and so it's I can't think of any other word to, to describe it other than that was the seat of real reality that was what felt more grounded and more solid than anything I could ever have imagined and so And I could see, it was not hard to recognize that for many years prior to that, I would have felt the other way around. I would have, you know, if someone tried to describe this to me, I would have said, that sounds real ethereal, hard to get my head around and uh, a little, a little far out, not terribly grounded. Let's say I would say like this body, this feels really real. though. I mean, I pinch myself and it hurts and that feels real. And this, this puts that on its head in a way that's so complete and so thorough that the, the notion of watching this body simply pass away is I can't meet it with anything other than an inner sense of just kind of a, a bemused smile because of the fact that there's absolutely no sense of fear about it. Nor was there any particular sense of importance about it. Like, the body could die or not die it wouldn't make any difference to this sense of being that felt so much more real and so much more grounded well it, it actually extends to the world around that body I mean that body is existing in this dimension that all these other bodies and all of that and all the machinations of that you know this entire dimension or plane or whatever we want to call it um, ends up with that same quality like that's what has the actual illusory quality to it um, it is the non three-dimensional aspect of being it is that is it's that it's that that sense of being that is witnessing all of this that that sense of being that is recognizing it as something as an illusory quality or a projection or you know it's sometimes a spiritual literature for probably thousands of years it's been referred to as a dream or an illusion. A simulation. Or Maya, <laughs> and things like a simulation. Yes. That's where these kinds of uh, ideas have come from to, to permeate spiritual literature. It, it's pointing precisely to, to what I'm describing. <laughs> that illusory quality is seen to, to be the fundamental reality of this, of this place, of this dimension. And so that, that also makes when you, when looking at all those other people those seeming people and separated souls and all everything else here it's it's impossible and this is this this eventually became permanent for me it's impossible to look at literally anyone and not recognize that there is a part of them that is beyond this dimension that is has is is utterly and eternally and completely steeped in that beauty in that lack of fear that is in that wholeness it it is it becomes impossible not to recognize that wherever one looks wherever one looks and it doesn't matter when or under what circumstances it's just it's sort of like looking past the trappings of this dimension into what seems more fundamentally true with a capital T and real with a capital R and it presents itself not as something that's mystical, or or out there, or or anything. It just presents itself as a simple, incontrovertible fact.
0: So at this point, we still don't know why you're dying. Oh yeah, right.
1: <laughs> um, uh, all right, I go through. I go through the rest of this day in this state of affairs. Um, I sleep for the first time in many days. I'm. I'm into the next day. the it, it, The state of affairs at that time was that the, my body was clearly dying faster. Like the dying process was speeding up. That was very clear from the very beginning. It was going slowly, but it was also gradually speeding up over time. So, um, into the second day, um, there does come this moment where my father comes in to the house and from doing chores and things, and and he he looks at me, and this time I I see his face kind of pinch, and he looks at me funny, and he just says, something. I think something's not right, Jonathan. I think we better head back over to the hospital. And, and we do, um, even though I dawdle and take all the time because I'm just not in a hurry. And um, it, back at the hospital, they confirm my body is in fact dying for the dumbest reason ever, which is dehydration. <laughs> like, so dumb. And it's also, that makes it also a very easy fix. And so the ER docs were at the same hospital that actually conducted the surgery. The ER docs just poke an IV bag full of saline solution into me. And the, the, the minute that IV bag is connected, this entire process does begin to reverse. I could feel that life force flow in and the merging with the infinite is beginning to reverse. And it's sort of like coming back to the, the regular, more regular frame of reference. And I find myself thinking, okay, fine. That's, that's great. That's great. And the, and the reason for feeling that way was that in the previous 36 hours or whatever it had been, I had so much time to sort of observe this and revel in it that I, I had the opportunity to consider very plainly and very clearly and at great length whether i wanted to head completely into as we call it the other side or or not and it it was a choice i felt i couldn't figure out why but i i felt convinced that it was the right choice to remain here and it was it's an interesting juncture to think back on because to experience that level of peace and awe, and all the other things I've, you know, tried to talk about, and put into words, it's it can be incredibly reasonable to imagine why wouldn't one just want to continue with that, with the all-encompassing vastness, the allness, the you know, overwhelming sense of peace and the love that flows, you know, from that. I just, there was a feeling like, well, you're actually not done here yet. And I would, I do remember a thought going through my head at the time going like, well, what am I supposed to do here? Well, all right. I mean, okay, fine. I do. I have stuff to do. Great. What is it? And I would think, I have no idea. (laughs) I don't even know what. In fact, I've been kind of flailing around. I mean, I'm doing my best as a, you know, grown up. Uh, a relatively young grown- up at twenty nine but you know I'm but I'm definitely a little baffled about what exactly I'm supposed to be doing here. Definitely don't feel like I've had it sorted out, and I still don't. and I just I just know in this in these moments that there's a feeling like, no, you're just not done here. and um you're gonna have to figure out why that is. So it was definitely not a case of, oh, I know what I'm supposed to be doing here. Let me go back and do it. It it was more a case of simply, I don't even know why, but I think I'm going to stay. So that when he did say, "Hey, I think we're going to load up and go back over to the hospital," there was I was like, "Oh yeah, right. I'm um, sure. I mean, sure, I'll be happy to stay. We'll do that. We'll go back. We'll go back." So to the it hospital. wasn't
0: it wasn't really a question of should we go to the hospital or stay here. It was like should I live or die, basically, is what you yeah. were. And he had yeah. no idea. He was just like, "I he think not. you're not well."
1: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) but you knew what what the actual circumstance and, and decision was about
1: yeah I did I did I absolutely did he he knew nothing about it because on one hand first of all I'm recovering from a surgery on my throat my ability to actually speak is very limited I can eke out a whispered word you know if I want and to do so you know is definitely difficult but so I'm I can barely communicate, but even if I could speak fully at that time, I would not have been capable of trying to put any of this into words in a way that I would think my father could accept. I mean, he wouldn't have been able to hear it, and I wouldn't have been able to say it to begin with. Uh, Right.
0: You needed time to kind of digest and understand what it was that you were experiencing.
1: Yes. I do consider it, you know, one of those lovely little miracles that, that he... You know, took one look at me and thought, "I think we're going back to the hospital." And I was like, "Okay, good. I'm on board with that. I think I'm staying.
0: Yeah, I think I'm staying. I think I'm staying. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't. I, I don't know why,
1: but Life I think is... I'm gonna stay.
0: <laughs> Life is for me. Yeah. All right. I think
1: so I guess we'll. I guess we'll figure out the details later.
0: But, well, what but, I what I think is really interesting about your experience that really jumped out at me was you didn't have an out of body experience and fully crossover, but you still had that uh, experience of melding with the oneness of the universe and the fact that you died or you were dying very slowly. There's a lot of people who lose loved ones in that way to like really slow transitions and. To know that you can have that experience still with your spirit within your body. A lot of people watch their loved ones die and they, from their perspective, they think that they're suffering. They think that they're in a lot of physical pain. And you, you had been almost in a state of bliss for how many hours?
1: I don't know exactly, but, you know.
0: That was like over 24 well hours. Well over
1: a day and a half, you know, yeah. of, you know, something like that, yeah.
0: Being able to... Sort of step into the other room into your spirit and allow your body to do what it was doing and be somewhat detached from that suffering. Because I actually, I've had a similar, well, definitely not similar, way minor um, surgery on my throat. And it mm. was excruciating, excruciating yeah. to heal from. And it was just like a tiny little incision that I experienced. And I know they took out like a lot of your. Flesh. They even took out some bone, like and highly sensitive nerves, uh, lots of nerve dense tissues.
1: up there, yeah,
0: yeah. And so your body was suffering. Yes, (laughs) suffering terribly. Yet throughout that experience, you were in a state of. Of connectivity with the divine, this all encompassing peace with nothing, nothing missing, no, no fear, no none of that. Yes. And I feel like that's such an interesting key point that really, really drew me to your story in the first place that people need to know. Like, if you're losing a loved one that it looks like they are suffering horribly they could be connected to the divine they could have already let go of their attachment to the body and have started to meld with that oneness and that all encompassing love and peace that like their experience is actually a very beautiful thing
1: can be yeah
0: and i think it's important to know that that's what, like, a slow death could feel like.
1: You know, I've been in the company. It, it's not too surprising that over the course of time that I've ended up with a lot of people kind of... I've been in a lot of situations where someone else had someone in their life who was dying and they've decided they wanted to talk to me about it or uh, or something like that. And I've, I've ended up being with people as they died which can be honestly it can be one of the most exquisitely beautiful moments to spend with someone actually and it's sometimes because of these very reasons you get to share some of that moment with them as at least as a possibility and and i i wouldn't want to discount the fact that they're That in a lot of people's experience, there is they they are going to they are experiencing suffering. There is pain, there's and that sort of thing. Um, I've been with people as they're dying. That you know, at some points along the part the journey, there they were in really tremendous pain. Um, I've also seen them go from that pain into the experience you're describing, and it's it's palpable. Uh, sometimes I have people writing to me saying, you know, telling me about their experience of this when so-and-so in their family was was dying and, you know, something like there'd been all this suffering. And then at one point they opened their eyes or they sat up in bed or something like that. And and uh, their, their demeanor changed completely in these moments.
0: That's the moment um, they, as I had said, stepped into the other room, into the spirit and just des- yeah. like detached from the body sort of. Yeah, they're still within it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I don't I don't have any doubt at all that that the experiences that we've been getting at, that I've been describing, that you've been describing, are things that come along pretty frequently <laughs> for a lot of people in the course of passing out of this body at the end of their lives. And I think it's very. I think there's there's a, death experiences are going to be just as individualized as our life experiences. So there's 8 billion people on the planet. We all have a little different experience here, and that's going to be true in the way that we pass out of this place too. But <laughs> I I believe that what we're describing is not nearly as uncommon as folks might sometimes think it to be.
0: Well, and then that also presents common. the idea that you can attain this level of peace or nirvana Um, Mm -hmm. without having to die or even almost die.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I find, I found it interesting about, I had actually no idea that there was such a vast worldwide community of folks that were interested in near-death experiences until, well, last November. (laughs) I just wasn't paying attention. I've had people say to me, oh, man, I I wish I had your experience or I wish I had an NDE experience or something like that. There's sort of a yearning for for a part of it. And, you know, I'm pretty sure most of them don't really want the uh, chaotic, tumultuous dying part, the, the pain part. <laughs> Probably not interested in that part so much, <laughs> uh, that are so commonly a part of these stories. But, but one of the things that has certainly been overwhelmingly shown to me over and over and over and over again is that the kinds of things that I'm describing and that we're just talking about in general today are things that can be accessed in an absolutely uncountable, infinite number of ways, they are not unique to uh, near-death experiences. That The near-death experience is one of an infinite number of doors that can lead to the kinds of experiences and the kinds of transformations and the kinds of um, insights and revelations and so on that we're talking about. It is only one of an infinite number of doors that can open to that. If someone has not had an NDE, it does not in any way mean that they are incapable of having such an experience. Um, in fact, from from my point of view, it's absolutely inevitable that at some point along the way, whoever anyone is, they're going to be encountering these things at some point, no matter what. And there, again, there's a lot of ways we could unpack that, but it's a way of saying nobody can avoid the truth with a capital T forever. Nobody. It's just too darn true mm-hmm. for that to be possible. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so there's nothing, you know, that makes this NDE situation, you know, there, there's nothing special about it in that regard, even though sometimes it's put on a kind of a specialness pedestal sometimes.
0: So anyway. how, since this experience, how have you made any attempts to revisit that? Oh. <laughs> state?
1: the short answer is Yes. <laughs> My immediate response from this NDE was not that it, it radically changed my life, it didn't. And the reason for that is that I couldn't figure out how to put it into my regular life. I, I came back from the hospital, no longer dehydrated, I healed up and like a regular person I went back to regular life and back to work and a job and all the things and being a grown-up. And I could not figure out how to reconcile what I'd experienced with so much of my ordinary, regular, daily life. And so I buried it first. That's the first thing I did. I didn't speak about it. I couldn't figure out how I could have spoken about it. So these these two things happened. One is it just kind of got buried. A second was that it did uh, turn me into a bit of a spiritual seeker in a way that I probably couldn't possibly have been turned otherwise because there was a part of me that burned to reconcile these things how do i know what i how do i how do i reconcile what i know i know even though in this regular daily life it seems completely different to what i know that i know and i i just so it was like the next bunch of years was spent trying to begin to reconcile that it was not the last time that i learned what it was like to transcend pain there have been a couple of other times when i was in a situation where there was tremendous pain and i got to revisit that place and be released from the suffering of it not always in fact there are other times when i ended up being in some kind of pain that i was like wow i wish this hurt less <laughs> but i have returned to that experience and the the other thing that happened in the in the years afterwards was that and i and I, I have to look upon this as sort of a product of that that spiritual seeking a kind of seeking I couldn't have been doing without that that NDE experience. We, you know, one of the things that was at the the heart of that experience was, as I keep trying to put it into words, that there was this sense of this merging into the infinite, in which the 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 sense of an individuated sense of self began to dissolve. And what began to transpire in the next years was, I would occasionally have these little glimpses inwardly, in which I would look inside, and there'd be this moment where I'd think, well what's really going on in here let me look let me look really carefully and i would look inside and i would, i would i was sort of like saying where is that sense of self where does it where does it reside where does it where is it and i would look and i found myself sort of flummoxed and baffled by the fact that i would look around inside and i would feel like i couldn't quite find it and it, and that was something that i just sort of would sort of waft in and waft out over time one of the things that was true about that is that there was during this period of time in my young life i'm now in my 30s there would be <laughs> there would be these moments where i would just end up feeling a really tremendous peace and it would just sort of waft in and and it would come honestly unexpected and i began to sort of associate that when that peace would come in it was it was like that sense of self Was being recognized as being not so much there. It was just the the thing is I I, I couldn't associate it to something that I had done as a personal self. I couldn't associate it to some machinations of my own. I I just, it's like I couldn't, I knew that piece was at hand and I couldn't identify it as something that was quote unquote mine because I hadn't done any, done anything and it would go at other times. You know, it would come and it would go and I'd think, well, where did it go? and that began to sort of drive the search because it would be like where to, where to go I, I i do want to find that again how how do i do that how do i make that happen and i would fail and fail and fail how
0: did you try you try meditation a, a little bit
1: i i i didn't it was sort of like like if you've ever if any i think most people can relate to uh they've been chewing on some life situation and they've said to themselves i really wish i could let this go and it's sort of like a part of their mind is just given to like, I'm gonna try to let this go. It's like there's an intention there, but what are they really doing? Like, How does one actually let a thing go? And I got to borrow this phrase from someone else uh, who's very famous for this sort of thing, but uh, who has said, you know, I don't think I've ever really let something go. I've gone through a lot of looking and inquiry, and if I do that enough, it eventually lets go of me. It was like that. It was like there was a part of me that was like, I'm gonna get back there. I gotta find that piece. I'm gonna do it. I gotta just. I don't know what I'm doing, but I. That's what I gotta do. And I, like someone saying, I gotta let this go, and yet, to say I have to let this go, or to say I have to find this piece, it. It's this completely upside down and backwards paradigm, because what that does is actually lock some form of a sense of self into place, which is the precise opposite of the actual experience in which there is a sense of self that is recognized as absent to begin with, and therefore not even a volitional force to call upon to make a thing happen.
0: That's amazing, because in my experience, anytime that I've ever tried to have a spiritual experience through meditation, I fail. Anytime that I don't actively try
1: mm-hmm. is when I succeed. You're onto something there. <laughs> <laughs> and it, for me, it was sort of like being faced with that recognition, I don't know, 10,000 times or something. Like it was a bunch of years in which I went through that kind of machination, but it was like being shown over and over and over and over some more, um, how it really worked, and that was very difficult for me to wrap my stubborn head around. Um, it, it's just opposite of the way we're used to thinking about the world, mm-hmm. and and it's it's fun to be able to say it that way because it kind of comes around to what I think of as a as a spiritual law, which is that well, a couple things actually um, before I go talking about laws and whatnot. One is um that you know truth with a capital T most of the time is precisely the opposite of how we operate here. <laughs> which is why it can be difficult to reconcile something like all-encompassing oneness in a place which seems like a, a million and one separate individuated things doing their own thing. It's 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 upside down and backwards from that. <laughs> and uh and in in this place we're you know overwhelmingly um, wrapped into the idea that if I don't do it, it's, you know, then it's not going to happen. And, um, well, that's, we're definitely making some big generalizations here, but uh, that's not exactly how it works either. <laughs> In any case, for me, there was this many, there was a bunch of years where it was sort of being faced by these things over and over and over and over. Um, these moments of peace would. Come. Um, this recognition of a lack of a self would would be recognized, but I would find that um, there was a way in which it was comforting at times, it would bring something beatific to me at times, It it would sound right and feel right and feel good, and yet other times it was baffling and terrifying and confounding, and it was just sort of like seesawing between all those things for a long time. You know i I'm, I'm really glossing over a lot of time and a lot of other experiences. There were other experiences that had to do with death and dying that came along.
0: Well, so how did uh, you reconcile it? Well, or what did you learn, or what conclusions did you come to about I, I, how I kept that works failing and...
1: to figure it out and and it began to be so the drive to get it figured out became absolutely truly ferocious to the point that it was like i often described it as a pendulum where you know there'd be moments when this piece would waft in and other times when that piece would waft right back out and i'd be like whoa oh what where uh what uh, how do i make this oh what's going on here what that was and so there's this this tension between the pendulum swing this way the pendulum swing that way and it was it was kind of it was maddening i mean and it just made my, my internal focus kept going from outside, like my regular out, you know, like every other normal person. I'm like, I'm attempting to have a job and a career and there's, you know, people in my life and there's relationships and there's friends and there's adulthood and there's all this stuff. And I have a lot of self image wrapped up in all those things. And, but this, this internal, uh, conflict, I guess you could call it began to take such importance it began to garner so much of my attention that i kept beginning to turn from my focus out there more and more to in here and it was just simply it was just i i couldn't not do it this was it began to be so maddening and so compelling and so i couldn't put it into words to most people at the time i didn't put it into words at the time um and so my focus just kept turning inward and the more of my focus turned inward, the more I turned away from the outside, which is meant, which is why over time it kind of felt like my outside life was kind of starting to fall apart after a while. And all these things that I had thought should be really important, I kept feeling like ah, they're not as important as that. this is way more. I can't, I can't take my attention away from this. This seems so much more important. And so, so much about outward life just began to sort of fall away and crumble and. Um, that was very tumultuous. I mean, there were times when that really was, seemed terrifying. Like, what the hell am I doing? I have a mortgage. What am I doing? And, but that's, that was bound on the other side by, you know, those inward experiences in that piece seeming so overwhelmingly compelling that I could not possibly say that that was wrong. I mean, it was, there was no question that that was, there was something about that that was extraordinarily right, that was very, like, how can I not turn in that direction? And it took a long time to even begin to really equate, like that that piece and those inner experiences with things that I had previously experienced in in NDE. It gets to this point where I just feel like my regular life is actually falling apart. I'm not functioning in it very well, and I give every single bit of it up. And I just to have this moment where I go, I'm. I can't do anything except focus on this. Nothing. Um, Interestingly, one of the triggers for that was the passing away of my father. I was with him as he died, and in fact, I was the one eventually tasked with telling the medical staff at what point it was time to unplug the machines, like I had to make the call. And you know, sharing that experience with him was kind of a culminating experience in forcing me to reconcile with my own NDE. And it was sort of like having to go through that really, really forced me to reconcile with these things. And and so I, there's a, there's no surprise to me that it was immediately following his passing that I felt what I actually, it was actually a feeling that His last gift to me was releasing me to go on the next step of the journey. There was something about being with him as he died. As soon as that was over with, I was like, I know what I have to do. And it's going to sound crazy to everyone in my life. But it was immediately upon his passing that I began to prepare to sell my little business that I'd been running with a buddy. I sold my car. I said goodbye to the lovely woman I'd been seeing. I gave the keys to my home to someone I barely knew, and I, I left. I disappeared. And that was an act of of just being committed a thousand percent to that inward pursuit that had become so ferocious that I was willing to ditch every single other aspect of life. and it 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 sounds a little overdramatic these days that i was I was willing to put death on the table myself. I was willing to put, I could be living under a freeway overpass if I do this. <laughs> I could be, you know, I don't know if what I'm embarking on is even, I don't really fully understand where it leads. I felt I couldn't not do it. Right. If I didn't do it, it would hurt even more than doing it. And I, I wasn't sure about doing it. I thought, what the hell am I doing? I was, like There was this sort of push-pull, like, is this mad or is this absolutely the rightest thing I've ever done? And, and, and I, I kind of wavered back and forth between those things, Mm -hmm. but one of them won, you know, the, the one that said, this is the rightest thing you could do is the one that, that won out. And of course, I'm grateful for that. And I can't look back on that without thinking of it in terms of that being essentially, you know, guidance of, of the, of the highest sort.
0: I can relate because that's something I would do. But uh-huh. I think I would have less push and pull and conflict about whether I should or should not. I think I would just yeah. be like, this feels expansive and yeah. this uh, like about what I'm doing right now. I mean, I yeah. have been living in a van ever since mm-hmm. December 15th. It's been as of two days from now, it'll have been six months. Far and off. And this experience has been exactly that for me. And it was like, a lot of people would look at that and be like, oh, you're crazy. And I was like, well, there wasn't any other choice. This was what my spirit in some way conveyed to me, Yeah, what I needed to do. And so I did it.
1: <laughs> Amen. Angela, I got to say, it, it is a joy talking with you, spending a little time with you. And, and I feel like what you're describing comes through, like it's not hard to see that in you. It, and it's lovely. It's really beautiful to see. Um, I can relate, you know, I had my own version of, you know, of such a, of a, such a story and such a journey. But I think if anything, that gives me some grounds to be able to really see it in you and recognize it in you. And, and it, and it comes through clearly and it's quite beautiful. Um, and if anyone listening to this, takes that as a, an inspiration or a provocation to, to listen to that same kind of impulse within themselves, then I hope they will. <laughs>
0: Amen. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. that brought tears to my eyes because it mm. it is such a thing that I feel like people in society struggle with you know, because they become so dependent upon societal constructs that the idea of doing what you did or doing what I did is just outlandish. Just like, no, that's just crazy talk. Yet our souls crave something about this experience that we've had, you know, and I feel like denying ourselves that experience out of the the conflict that you faced you know like oh is this crazy oh is this like what mm-hmm. what should i do
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> do it <laughs> just simply do it <laughs> i'm with you yeah <laughs> whatever it is go do it if you if it. it's like a, an honest pull that you feel from inside like your heart and your soul you know like yeah <laughs> There, there are some things that you could do that are just simply crazy and aren't any sort of like, I'd say a spiritual conviction. Yeah. But I think, I think once you determine, you know, with that discernment of like, all right, is this just simply my impulsivity or mm-hmm. is this something that like my soul, my heart speaks to mm-hmm. me as an experience that I need? Like after figuring that out, like, and I think that's kind of what you were experiencing with your like conflict yeah. and push and pull. It's like, if your answer is yes, after making that distinction, you know, mm-hmm. like, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's scarier to deny yourself that experience and to always wonder, like, what you missed out on and, like, what, mm-hmm. what growth could have come from that experience than it is to embark on it and then have the experience, deal with the, like, obstacles that, you know like you didn't expect yet were the exact obstacles that you needed in order to learn from them and grow yeah yeah we absolutely Uh, can i
1: mean it it touches on one of my favorite subjects in the spiritual realm which is is that of listening to the inner prompt that's that's what i usually call it just because i feel like inner prompt is a very benign word for it because there's i mean we could we could there's so many i mean some people talk about listening to their angels and guides and things like that. Well, that's that's great. That's from my point of view, that's the same thing. And um, every every single tradition in human existence has some word for following, you know, or some notion of what it means to follow their inner guidance. So I feel like the language is irrelevant. It doesn't matter where someone's from or what word we choose for it. there's there is a way in which that is one of the one of the most central hallmarks. Of not only the spiritual journey but also the human journey, which is no different than the spiritual journey. They're the same thing, in my opinion.
0: You don't have to have a any sort of traumatic physical experience in order to have that connection, to feel that presence and that peace. And I mean, I guess sometimes it's kind of this like pendulum sort of experience, balancing act, trying to figure out like how you can attain that in in life. Yet, you know, have, have you, I mean, did we get to the point, did you ever really figure it out?
1: I, you know, like I said, I, I ditched all the things and basically set myself on a, on a little quiet, silent, solitary retreat. And, um, and I could tell a bunch of stories about it, but the bottom line is that, um, that during that, during that period of time, and this, this was unexpected to me, that pendulum essentially, uh, ceased. It just ceased and everything that I've attempted to put into words throughout our time today really from the NDE onward just felt as though it settled in and settled in permanently and I, I, I don't see how it could possibly go back. You know, it's funny to talk about in a forum like this where, you know, what it looks like is two people having a conversation over Zoom. but. The internal of experience of it still is that that sense of an individuated self was just seen to be a kind of a silly fiction permanently and it doesn't doesn't mean that that I don't move through the world as if it's there because that's how this particular world is set up to work but it's it's impossible to look inward and not recognize that it that it's the actual truth is is that it's absent and that that there's more to the story that sense of that infinite and that oneness is, it, it is simply, it, it did, it, it settled in in a way that was just immovable and seems, and seems permanent. And, and it, it still, that doesn't mean that, you know, that there aren't slings and arrows that come my way in this, you know, ordinary human way. But it is true that I meet them in a way that's different than I, than I did in the past and it's because of that grounding in that in in those things that it, it becomes possible to meet them in a in a way that's it's really very different
0: so um, would you say that peace still sort of finds you every now and then does it does uh, that it's like more, it's honestly more like it's with me
1: always 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 it's it's
0: sort is of it like, as as a, is it as as profound or is it because it's with you always is it somewhat like like diluted like it's, well, it's there. I say it's
1: diluted, it's normalized. <laughs> right. You know? That's, yeah, I
0: guess that's kind of what yeah. I meant. I,
1: it's it, because when it, it,
0: it would, I would think that if it came like in sort of increments, that they would be like highly concentrated. So because you weren't used to it, it felt really strong in the moments that it was present. And then if you kind of settled into this experience where it was like a, a long term, it never leaves kind of thing, I would feel like it wouldn't feel as intense.
1: You are right about that. You're right. right about that. I spent a, you know, that transition came and I spent the next year and a half in kind of a daze, frankly. Like I, I barely spoke for over a year because of that sense of awe. Uh, I could mean, That's couldn't a do weird that. way to be a grown up. I mean, I know it's, it's a very strange <laughs> way to be in the world. But there was no, there was simply no impulse to talk, nor desire to talk, nor it's, it's the source of the phrase I've often uttered in which I've said something like, it felt like silence was the best vessel for holding it. I like that. And yeah. And it, that's just how it felt. And so I just was or like happy the monks to revel. that
0: don't speak too. Yeah, yeah. I felt like
1: I could relate to those guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, and then over time, and it really took quite a while to sort of. Settle in into that and, and, uh, and to the way I would describe it these days is that that sense of peace is a constant in it's sort of, it's like foreground and background. That peace is always there, but sometimes it's more in the background and sometimes it becomes more in the foreground and, but it, it's never gone. And so, okay, you know, if I'm sitting there putting gas in my car, it's perfectly fine for that piece to just be sort of middle ground, you know, like, I don't know, you know, if I'm getting my groceries at the checkout counter and someone's saying, so did you find everything you needed? And I say, yeah, everything's fine. That piece is there. It's just kind of in the background. It's just, it's just, mm-hmm. it's, just in, it's sort of in its appropriate place. And, and sometimes when people come to me to, you know, cause sometimes people come to me to have healing encounters and things like that. And, and a lot of times those are moments in which it's, really, really appropriate for that that stillness and that peace to be really in the foreground and so that's you know that's that's how it is then, but it's never gone
0: yeah it's so, just kind of like an ocean has tides that rise and and then fall and they kind of yeah. have comes in waves, but the ocean is always there
1: <laughs> it's also it's also not divorced from some of you know some of like the basic threat of humanity here that, mm-hmm. that we have to deal with. I mean, it's if I'm rushing to get somewhere and I'm late and there's traffic, <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be like chemical things rushing around in here and synaptic things making me go, Oh man, I gotta get moving, you know, or something, It's you know, like it, it, it doesn't mean that
0: but you don't still have a human that. experience.
1: Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it, I mean, it's, and yet that's, that that piece is still there. It's still, it gets a little tricky to put into words as usual, but it's, it's just never not, it's just never gone.
0: I'm wondering if yeah. it was always that way. You just didn't have the understanding or the ability to recognize it until you did, you know? I think
1: a lot to what you just said, because I think it is the underlying reality for all of
0: us. So we come from this position of of not knowing, inundated by societal constructs that we have to sort of find it. And I think that that kind of just pigeonholes us from the beginning in awesome. this in this mindset that it is separate from us. Yes, that awesome. is something that we have to try to attain. And it's like in that effort of trying to attain it is where we separate ourselves from it.
1: Often. Yes. Yeah. And so
0: maybe it was That's always it. there. It was just like you had to figure out within your mind and your understanding and experience how to be present with it.
1: I I do I want to honor the journeys that people go on. Like because as true as what you everything you said resonates to me is is true like this this is the fundamental truth. It's not that we have to learn something new. It's that we have to uncover what has been true always. We have to remove the blocks. That's the phrase that I'm very fond of. We have we have to remove the blocks to our awareness of what has always been.
0: Oh, I just got goosebumps. <laughs>
1: and and that's, you know, some like that's that's a process that I went through. Sometimes that's a process I help other people go through sometimes when when we do things like this sometimes or whatever. It's, it's, that's learning. That's, that's the journey. That's the spiritual journey right there. Mm -hmm. And so I, I want to honor the journey, even though I can recognize that the individual steps are a whole bunch of illusory nonsense that in in a very real sense, didn't necessarily have to be that way. (laughs) And, uh, and it's become, but they
0: were kind of in a sense because it was your journey and that was what you needed to experience in order to find it. And so, Everything is all as it should and as <laughs> as it was and as it is.
1: <laughs> I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying.
0: You're right, right about
1: it, but <laughs> um, I, one of the things that I love about, I think it's a theme that sort of run through our entire conversation today is how much of all of this has to do with our minds. Like all of, everything you just described happens ultimately in an interior manner and we have this exterior out here that is uh, it has its place because it's primarily a reflection of what's in the mind but it's that's where the rubber really meets the road is internally and again that's a subject we can unpack a lot but i feel like it's it's one that we've sort of everything we've talked about today is sort of an example of how that uh, how that is, and mm-hmm. yeah, we do. We go on these journeys, and there's a lot of seemingly external steps out here in the world. But, but even there, the you know reality with a capital R and truth with a capital T says that's actually something that is simply uh, an uncovering of things internally in in mind. And um, it's as we change our minds that. Our seemingly external circumstances have the opportunity to change as well. and
0: uh, It's all processed it in the mind.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, all processed Our physical
0: experience is processed in the mind. Our spiritual experiences are reconciled within the mind. The realm of the mind and thought is my favorite thing to explore, and hence why it has been a theme in our conversation. And <laughs> absolutely, I'm with you there. It, it's been a theme, and it's... I yeah. theme for a reason because it is really cool <laughs>
1: <laughs> kind of where it's at
0: <sighs> i think we've got some really got really lot. interesting and good key points good takeaways for cool. today and i again thank you so much for spending time with me today
1: i will catch you later now
0: thank you so much for listening to my podcast if you loved this episode please consider leaving a review and don't forget to share the link with somebody who can appreciate this message Blessings to you all, and I hope to catch you on my next episode.